Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. Joe Biden calling for President Trump to step down because of what he calls his failure to get this country together and moving forward in a time of crisis, suggesting the failure is something Trump knew he was doing. In his first primetime town hall since winning the Democratic nomination, of course, right here on CNN, Joe Biden says Trump knew how deadly COVID was and did nothing and that that is, quote, close to criminal. Now, Biden got an eye-popping endorsement today from one of Mike Pence's former top aides, a former White House coronavirus task force member who was working there just a month ago, and she is letting loose on President Trump. We have some of her sound, and we're going to talk about the impact of all of this with our power team, David Axelrod, Abby Phillip, and Miles Taylor. Good to have all three of you. Miles, good. Your shot there is in check. Uh, Abby, let's start with uh, net effect of the night for Biden in the town hall. Needle mover or not? Well, I think one of the things that you saw in this is Biden's ability to just stand there and answer questions in uh, a coherent fashion. And one of the reasons the bar is that low for Joe Biden is because President Trump has made it that low. He spent several weeks uh, talking about uh, how Joe Biden isn't mentally fit to uh, run for the presidency, uh, complaining that he thought that Biden was taking performance enhancement drugs. And I think what the American people saw tonight was a Joe Biden who could answer a wide range of questions in actually a great deal of detail. Uh, He took a question uh, from a tough questioner uh, who was a Trump supporter about regulations and about environmental regulations. And uh, he was able to handle those questions. And I think that that is probably one of the more significant things to come out of tonight, especially as we're going into a period of the debates. You know, under the you can't make it up um, category acts, you've got uh, the president who pronounces Yosemite Yosemite and uh, Thailand, Thailand, uh, questioning the ability of his opponent uh, to speak in coherent fashion. Uh, Crazy days, certainly, uh, but important and in crisis. Do you think that Joe Biden moved the needle with anyone that matters, any of the paucity of undecided or galvanizing his own group or fence-sitting Trump voters? You know, that's really hard to say. I did notice one thing uh, that was very pronounced, which was a real populist edge uh, to his rhetoric tonight. He described the race as a race between Scranton, Pennsylvania, where he grew up in Park Avenue. Uh, And he talked about about, uh, guys who inherit their money and squander it versus the hardworking people who grew up in the town uh, that he came from. And, uh, you know, I think this this, this was very deliberate. I think you're going to see more of that. He is, it is a, a, an appeal to those white working class voters who are very much the, the core of Trump's support. And Biden is getting more of them than Hillary Clinton. He is trying to cement that support. Uh, and this is part of that effort. Uh, Miles, I want to play you a piece of sound. 
uh, from Mike Pence's former aide who is uh, working with the Coronavirus Task Force, uh, Olivia Troya. And this, I want uh, soundbite number two in the control room. Towards the middle of February, we knew it wasn't a matter of if COVID would become a big pandemic here in the United States. It was a matter of one. But the president didn't want to hear that because his biggest concern was that we were in election year and how is this going to affect what he considered to be his record of success. The truth is he doesn't actually care about anyone else but himself. Let's deal with just the premise of that, Miles. One, do you know Troya? And two, that understanding of in the White House, we knew, we had it wrong, everybody had it wrong. Fauci, everybody else was surprised by this uh, in January. But then moving into February, they started to develop a different understanding that was met with hostility at the White House and certainly presidential level. Yeah, so Chris, I'll tell you this. First on Olivia, she is honestly one of the most hardworking, honest public servants I have ever met in my entire career. So when the vice president's office asked the Department of Homeland Security, do you guys have anyone you would recommend be the Homeland Security Advisor to the vice president of the United States? The one person in a department of 250,000 people we recommended was Olivia Troy because her background was uh, immaculate, her service was extraordinary, and her qualifications uh, were unmatched. So, so when they say, Miles, so... All right, good. So when they say Troy, Troy hates Trump. She's just another deep embedded statist, uh, part of the conspiracy against him, never liked him. And now she's out in the middle of a crisis, shows how much she cares. What's your response? Chris, uh, I'm going to tell you my response. I had lunch with the vice president of the United States in the West Wing of the White House. And he told me to my face, Olivia Troy is doing an incredible job as my Homeland Security Advisor. Today, they sent out Keith Kellogg, the Vice President's National Security Advisor, to say Olivia was a disgruntled employee. Keith Kellogg told me, this year, Olivia Troy is doing an incredible job. I'm so glad that DHS referred her to us. So it's bogus. This is what they do when someone criticizes them, Chris. But bigger picture, I would say this. Look, when we talk about accountability, uh, in American society. We think these days, especially after this summer with civil unrest, about things like body cams on police officers. You should think of Olivia Troy as the body cam in the West Wing of the White House, giving you a real-time testimonial to what is happening in this administration. She is the body cam for the American people of how this president is making decisions in a moment in a moment of extraordinary consequence, just like when a police officer does something mm. that's very important in a moment of extraordinary consequence, as this president made the most important national security decisions of his tenure. Olivia Troy was there as the body cam, and now she's telling us what she saw, and America should listen. Abby, we've heard this before, uh, that the president was worried that the pandemic would get in the way of the strength of the economy. And that's why he didn't want the pandemic to get too much attention early on, played it with the hoax line and everything else, right up until the resistance to masks, no? Well, he said it himself, Chris. I mean, the president told Bob Woodward on tape that he wanted to downplay it because he didn't want to cause panic. And it wasn't just panic among individuals, it was 
panic in the markets that at the time he was saying publicly, uh, he, he was very concerned about that. He talked about it all the time around that same period of time. So it's very clear based on the president's own statements that this was a driving force for him. In fact, when he repeatedly said that he didn't want to bring Americans off of ships offshore uh, where there was coronavirus present on those ships because he didn't want the numbers to go up so that he would look bad. These are all things that are in the public mm. record uh, that are out there that he said himself that point to the president being very concerned about the impact on the economy, about the impact on, well, well frankly, the economy being the biggest thing that is important to him because that is what he knew he needed to run on. It's still actually based on the polling. He still has an edge there, but that edge is eroding and that is what he was principally concerned with. Max, does this matter to his uh, base or any Republican voter? Uh, the, what uh, Olivia Troy had to say? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, I think his core base is implacable. There aren't that many moving parts in politics. But the fact is, Chris, the president is behind. He is uh, seven points behind on the average nationally. He's behind by less, but, but significant margins in many of these battleground states. And time is running out. And he needs to move voters. When, when stories like this surface, it only creates more difficulty, more headwinds for him in trying to win back some voters he's lost and win, vo win some voters that he's never had. So I think it, it's problematic for him. But I just want to say one thing in reaction to what Miles said. It, it, it was an interesting analogy to call her the body cam uh, uh, of this uh, operation. The difference is, of course, she's a human being. She's not a piece of equipment. And she did something very, very courageous. She's sophisticated enough to know that by coming forward, she would make herself a target. And she has made herself a target and felt it was uh, of uh, enough consequence uh, to take that risk. And uh, it, in my view, is a heroic thing uh, to do because it, it's unpleasant to be in, in uh, a target of the abuse that she already has begun to take uh, and uh, will continue to take because they have to try and discredit her. Uh, her, her testimonial is too powerful. No matter this, which no matter how hard you work, the president was going to do something detrimental to keeping Americans safe. It was awful. It was terrifying. That is powerful, powerful stuff. Uh, there's another piece of sound from her that I think is actually going to make it easier to discredit her in this bizarro world that we're living in right now. Let's play the first soundbite. When we were in a task force meeting, the president said, maybe this COVID thing is a good thing. I don't like shaking hands with people. I don't have to shake hands with these disgusting people. Those disgusting people are the same people that he claims to care about. Now, Miles, people will hear that. He will say exactly what he said after the Atlantic reporting, which is, I would never say anything like that. They know I love them. And that shows you everything you need to know about her. It may actually hurt her um, with his team, where ordinarily, if someone comes out like that and talks about Joe Biden, he, you know, he's got a real problem on his hands. How do you analyze that dynamic? Well, two things, Chris. One, I want to echo what David just said, and that is, what Olivia did was brave. In no way is this going to be beneficial to her career, right. to her future, to her personal life. And I think that's what she did was very impressive. Uh, second, in terms of the, the quote itself, I think that um, Olivia has said what many of us have heard in the Oval Office with Donald Trump, in meetings with Donald Trump, or in events with Donald Trump, 
and that is he shows callous disregard for the people that he claims to represent and to support, uh, and he shows callous disregard for human life. And we've seen that when it comes to migrants at the border or American lives that are under threat from natural disasters. Donald Trump cares about one person and one person only, and that's Donald Trump. And I don't say that lightly, Chris. This is the president of the United States. I went in to serve with him. I went in as a Republican, but I left feeling that he was the least compassionate leader I had ever worked under in my entire life. And Olivia Troy uh, had that same experience. And David's right. She's not just a body cam. She's a human being. She's a human being. And you watch that, that video, and the emotion you see in that video is not coached. It's not from a director. That's from a woman who had a very real experience in this administration firsthand, saw this president, and left feeling like they weren't doing enough to protect the American people, and the president didn't care. Um, Abby, do you think there was anything tonight that showed a potential avenue of future strength for Biden or a potential vulnerability for Biden? Well, I do think that uh, the there were a couple of questions um, about the economy, about people's wages, about uh, health care workers. And, you know, there's so much talk right now about yep. social issues and about, uh, you know, all kinds of ancillary things. But the central issue for many Americans remains the economy, their economic future and their economic stability. And I did feel like Biden uh, was able to turn a lot of these questions back around to that core issue uh, repeatedly in a way that I thought was a pretty effective. The second thing that I thought was effective uh, and will become more important is when he's asked about how do you work with people across the aisle? He had an answer for that. He said, you know, I don't judge people's uh, m motives. I, he basically said, I don't burn bridges with people. Uh, I've been able to do a lot of, of, of deals over the years in my career by being able to work with people across the aisle. I think the American people are going to be looking for uh, what is the alternative? If, if Trump is one thing, what is the antithesis to that thing? And I think Biden had began to articulate that case for himself uh, tonight with some of these questions. Uh, Axe, final word from you uh, with a little bit of shading on uh, does Biden get hindered in that effort by being part of the Obama-Biden administration when you had such a culture of opposition coming from the right? So it was very difficult to get things done, but that is something he'll have to defend. Uh, yeah, look, I, I, I mean, you, you can't have it both ways. He very much is running on that record and that legacy. But in Washington at the time that he was serving, uh, he was known among legislators as someone who they could talk to. He did have a relationship with McConnell and others. Whether or not the politics will allow them to cooperate with him if he gets elected is another question. But he spent 36 years in the United States Senate. Uh, he understands the art of dealing with fellow uh, legislators and understanding what their needs are and what their perspective is, I think that that could be very helpful to him if in these very polarized times they feel they have the room to maneuver. Mm. You know, I don't do a lot of panels on prime time, but I like you three. This was very this was very helpful. I honestly can say I couldn't anticipate any of your answers. <laughs> so thank you uh, all. These are all big moments, man. Uh, as we get down now, you're getting fewer and fewer at-bats, so they matter more and more. David Axelrod, Abby Phillip, Miles Taylor, thank you for the perspective and the analysis on an important night. All right, so 
Obviously, all of this is happening under the cloud of what? The pandemic. 20,000 more of us could die from COVID in the next few weeks. And remember, you can politicize that number as much as you want. Oh, but they're mostly old people. They're mostly 55 plus. They're people. So for young people, for most people, it's all okay. Tell that to the families. That people, by the way, in that age range happen to be the fathers and the mothers and the centers of the family and the matriarchs and the patriarchs and the people you want around as long as you can have them. But that's where we are. Director Robert Redfield of the CDC said, wear your mask. The president never says that to you. He said it once. It's a patriotic duty. Never said it again. And now when Redfield said it, he's trying to shut him up again and shut out science. Why? Let's ask special guest tonight, his own former HHS secretary. You're going to hear it straight from Dr. Tom Price. Next. It seems pretty clear at this point that President Trump believes he can own the pandemic response by generating the vaccine. Let's get some perspective from his own Surgeon General, who said this. We don't need to wait until we get a vaccine or some miracle drug to get this virus under control. We can do it right now. Now, what is the Surgeon General talking about? The same thing that the CDC head was talking about, the same thing that Tony Fauci and the other task force members have told you. Uh, What you hear from lawmakers, even Republican ones, who aren't within earshot of the president. You can wear the mask, socially distance as call for, and deal with hygiene. Let's ask somebody who understands the Trump administration from the inside, in fact, the very agency that could be helping lead the way during this pandemic. Tom Price, Trump's Secretary of Health and Human Services, before leaving in 2017 amid controversy. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thank you for joining us. Hey, Chris, good to be with you. Uh, Let's look at uh, the past through this lens. Had you not gone through um, that scandal, Uh, and having to admit what happened with the planes and paying it back, uh, you probably would not have been dismissed, certainly from the Trump administration. You'd be there now. Is that a source of regret for you? Oh, there's a lot more to that story, and that's not why I was called to be on this this show this evening. Um, But I don't know that I would still be there. Um, uh, You you know, there are a lot of individuals who've come through uh, the administration. I think what's important about this issue right now is that the incredible privilege that I had to work at HHS and lead HHS with 80,000 employees literally across the world. American people, your viewers can be incredibly proud of the remarkable work that's being done. CDC, NIH, FDA, uh, throughout the entire globe uh, on, on health issues. And so it was a remarkable privilege for me to be able to, to, to serve at HHS, and it will be one of my highest honors. The spokesperson there until very recently, Michael Caputo, suggested something else. He suggested that scientists within that agency and others were working to thwart the president, to keep people uh, in the dark, to keep this pandemic out there, to help political ambitions of getting rid of the president. Do you buy that? No, I, what I saw were incredibly dedicated people, whether they were political appointees or whether they were career individuals. Uh, th- these are folks that, that, especially who've been there for a long time, uh, could be doing all sorts of other things. But what they've dedicated, many of them dedicated their lives to, is making certain that the health and well-being and the safety of the American people are improved. 
Um, and so it was it was a it was a great honor for me to be able to uh, to serve with them. And uh, and and the CDC was right at the top of that list. Do you agree with Dr. Redfield in his recent analysis of the plus minus on vaccines and the absolute science behind masks? Well, it, I, I thought Dr. Redfield was very clear, and I commend him for what he for what he said. We're dealing with a new infectious disease. You remember, Chris, when it came out, it was called the novel coronavirus. Yes, and that was because it's new. Um, all of us, all of us in in the world, literally, are immunologically naive because our bodies haven't seen this disease before. And so, when you have a new infectious disease, we're we're watching Public Health 101 play out in real time before the American people and before uh, citizens of, of of the world. And and when you have a new infectious disease, one of the things that you have to do initially is to mitigate uh, the the spread of the infectious disease. Uh, you need to be able to, to detect it. That's the testing. But the mitigation is key. And one of the major mitigation activities that you could do is to is to socially distance, to physically distance, and to wear a mask. This is not. This is not rocket science. This is something that public health has known for years. If you look back at the pictures from 1918, that's exactly what they did. They have masks on. That's right. Then why do you believe the president has taken such an opposite tack, having the rallies? Uh, Sure, his campaign staff will say, hey, you want a mask? He never encourages people to wear masks. He did once in public, but since then, he's been quiet about it and intentionally so. Why does he take that tack? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. But what I will tell you is that the role well, matters, of physicians, right? the, it, it, it's incredibly important. The right. role of physicians and the role of scientists is, is to provide the best information that they have and the most honest and, and candid information that they have. And that's my goal at this point. Do you think this, people should be wearing masks? When they're unable to physically distance and when they're not within their, their cohort, if you will, uh, that they know is safe. Absolutely. If they go to a rally, should they wear a mask? If if, if they go to a rally, if they go to a protest, if if they're in a group of individuals that they don't know and they're not able to to physically distance, then it's public health 101 to wear a mask. Would you hold a rally right now if you're going to have a book come out or do whatever and they said, hey, we're going to pack this house for you tonight. Uh, Masks are optional. Would you be okay with that? I haven't attended a, an event uh, since the beginning of this that hasn't respected the imperative of, of this disease and making certain that there is there's uh, mitigation activities going on, whether it's wearing a mask, right. whether it's social distancing, uh, whether it's uh, um, uh, just a few people in a certain area. Um, th- this Again, this is not uh, difficult stuff. This is stuff that we've known for uh, over a hundred years. I agree. And, and it's imperative. And the American people understand this in their gut. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's why I think you're seeing some of the good trends that we're seeing. We're seeing decrease in hospitalizations, decrease in transmissions, decrease in deaths. And that's because folks, I think, are paying more attention now. We're having a little bit difficulty on university campuses, and we need to, uh, we need to get our, our, our young uh, uh, constituents to be able to, to uh, recognize the imperative of their role in all of this. Right. A lot of personal responsibility needs to be held, but, uh, but we're doing better as a nation, and I think we need to, to, uh, champ- to uh, celebrate that. Uh, Yes, except we are doing better despite the constant messaging of the president of the United States, Doc. And I get that you don't want to talk straight politics. I understand that. But I think the truth, I don't think I know the truth demands it. We all know that the science says we should wear masks. The president says otherwise. So telling the truth to the American people says science 101 says 
Medicine 101 says wear a mask and it is wrong for the president to suggest and encourage otherwise. I think you need to say both parts if you want to tell people the truth. Do you agree? Well, I think I, I think what I what I'm inspired by is the work of the Surgeon General. Uh, I'm inspired by the work of the CDC director. I'm inspired by uh, the work at NIH and the individuals there and and, and the folks who have been very clear uh, on this. There's There's been no. But they have been frustrated I'm, I'm, I'm and heard. silenced by a president who gets upset when they say what you're saying right now, which is why Redfield got slapped down. I'm and asking that, you again, do you want to point out that the president shouldn't be doing that and that he shouldn't be discouraging mask use. I'm, I'm past the days of, of trying to decide why individuals in the political arena do what Not they do. What individuals, I am, what I want Doc, to do, the president, the president, the president, doctor, very clear uh, that that this is a new infectious disease. We need to mitigate the challenges of this disease. And one of the major things that we can do, everybody in a personal responsibility standpoint, regardless of what the president says, regardless of what. Certain, How can you certain say regardless of what the president says when you don't even want to say, Doc, I got to tell you, you know, I've known you for a while. I have respect for you as a clinician. Uh, what I'm saying is this. I get that you don't want to get in the political morass, but if you don't want to get people to a better place then you keep playing the game where you don't want to get in Trump's face about this. But people don't wear masks because they believe he doesn't think you need them to. You have an odd political symbiosis between people who don't want to wear masks and who support the president. Why won't you say he shouldn't say it? Which is precisely why I'm on the air right now, and that is to encourage individuals to to recognize the science, to follow the science, to follow the physicians. And the president tells them they don't have to. So now what? And to do the things that need to be done to mitigate the challenge of this. And the president says you don't have to. The mask is optional. Come to my big rally. It's going to it's going to disappear, by the way. The virus is going to disappear even if we do nothing. If I were if I were at that rally, if I were at it, I told you, if I were in an area where there was uh, uh, no ability to physically distance and there were a lot of individuals there, I would wear a mask and, and would, would encourage every single person. to. And do what so. would you say to the person who's telling people to do otherwise? I'm not letting uh, it go, I, Doc. It's too important. I, I think, Chris, I think that that that, that is belying science. Uh, the science dictates the public health activities dictate. I agree with that, you, that, but that you won't say that activity. Trump is belying the science and his people respect you. They need to hear, okay, now I'll wear a mask. I get it. He I, says Trump is wrong to tell me. All right, I get it. I, th- I, I, think they've, I think they've gotten that message, Chris. All right, one other thing for you. Um, the president is saying that uh, he's going to have a great plan. You were at HHS. That's where a plan would have had uh, a significant home and generation. Why three years in should uh, Trump supporters and other voters who are thinking about voting for him have trust that he's going to come up with a plan when he's had all this time to come up with a plan and hasn't? Well, I think I think the contrast to where we find ourselves right now is that there are real challenges in the healthcare system, and the question is, what is the what is the answer? How do we get ourselves to a better place in terms of our healthcare right. system? And 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 what the administration I think has been working on, and I know individuals, my old friends, uh, uh, former colleagues in the in the U.S. House and in the U.S. Senate, uh, they've been working on issues to make certain that we don't put the government in charge of things, because we know that when that happens, then people are further removed from being able to communicate with their doctor and being able to get the treatment. Fine, that but that doesn't need. mean you don't have a plan. Why doesn't he have a plan? Three and a half years in. 
uh, you'd have to ask folks that are there right now. Uh, if, if if I had been had the privilege of sticking around for a period of time, I believe we would have been able to move a plan you, forward. They should However, have a plan, right? Should they have a well, plan? I had a plan. As, as you and I have talked about before, I mm-hmm. had a plan when I was in the United States. Right, House but he didn't make that plan your plan, and he hasn't come up with any other plan except to say he's going to have a plan. That's not and enough, it, is it? it? No, you got to have a plan. You can't beat there something with nothing. That's and, right. And, and, and so uh, I encourage my colleagues to talk about the imperative of, of greater ch- greater choices. Uh, we've been working on a plan through through uh, Job Creators mm-hmm. Network and Physicians for Reform that's called Healthcare for You to make certain that we contrast it with Medicare for All. Medicare for All is a one-size-fits-all program. I got you. But, it, but what we want is healthcare for you for individual patients all across this land. I get that's it. The- well, this is what we need to do. When the president puts out his competing plan, then we'll have two plans to compare. I want you to come back on the show and help me go through both of what you see as the pluses and minuses. Uh, Doctor, I appreciate you, Dr. Price, coming on. I appreciate uh, you as a clinician. That's why I'm chasing you about the accountability, uh, because we need to start telling people the truth and what to believe and what not, because we're getting sick, literally. Doc, thank you for being with us. Thanks. Take care. All right. Look, they're not easy conversations. I'm sorry uh, that it has to be difficult. But it shouldn't be difficult. The truth should be simple. If the science says wear a mask and the president is ignoring that, then you have to say he's wrong to ignore it. I get that it's upsetting. I get that it hurts your partisan standing. It's making us sick. Doesn't happen here. It's how it is. The Department of Justice is doubling down on the idea of charging protesters with sedition. Okay. now sedition is not a catch all. It's a specific thing. It requires specific elements and it is a big deal. In a memo sent to U.S. attorneys nationwide, Deputy AG Jeffrey Rosen writes, the attorney general and I recently discussed with you the need to consider the use of a variety of federal charges when they may be appropriate, including seditious conspiracy. Seditious conspiracy. Let's try that out on former U.S. attorney who was fired by President Trump, Preet Bharara. Good to have you right now. Um, Let me ask you this. What do you see behind this move? Do you see this as a logical legal move or something else? I see it as something else, and that's based on the track record of uh, not just the president, but the attorney general of the United States, who doesn't work for the president, but works for the public, for the American people, trying to, in some ways, echo through his position and through legal positions, uh, the rhetoric of the president. Um, You know, sedition is is a big deal crime to bring. As you say, it's a very specific statute that has specific elements, um, and it's not typically used in this fashion. In, in fact, it's almost never used in this fashion. I haven't done all the research, and I plan to go back and take a look. But more likely, it seems like this is another example of the attorney general doubling down on what the president says and does, uh, and in effect, on, on some occasions, uh, tries to help the president's allies, and on other occasions, tries to make war on the president's adversaries. And his, his whole his whole talking about these protests and rhetoric about them and who's at fault, he overemphasizes, uh, you know, one group of people and underemphasizes other group of people, namely white supremacists. So it's, it seems to me it is part and parcel of a, of a political message rather than something that's legally sound. What happens next? <laughs> that's a great question. But I know you um, volunteered know, your but- services to one of the municipalities in question. Why? Uh, well, you know, I don't, again, I don't know if the report is true. <clears throat> there, uh, there is a report that uh, the attorney general asked people in the civil rights unit of in the civil rights division of the Justice Department 
to look at potential charges against a former U.S. attorney, current mayor of the city of Seattle. That strikes me as preposterous, and so I hope it is not true. It would seem not to be true uh, because it's not based on any you know, fact or legal principle that I'm aware of. <clears throat> there is also confirmed evidence, I think confirmed by the Justice Department itself, that the department had been looking at uh, figures, political figures, officials in Portland, Oregon. Right. And right. bizarre to me, because I've seen rhetoric coming out of the, the attorney general in a gaslighting form where he says, you know, here's the problem in America today. You can't just say you don't like your adversary. You have to say that they need to be charged with a crime and put them in jail. Number one, that's what the president does. That's what the president says on a regular basis, going back to 2015, talking about Hillary Clinton. And that's what it appears <clears throat> that his own Justice Department has been contemplating doing with respect to political adversaries and enemies um, and thorns in their side mm. in Portland and potentially in Seattle. Well, and so, you know, that's, that's another promise kind of made, another promise made, promise kept. He used to say, lock her up. Maybe now uh, A.G. Barr will find a way to make that uh, promise kept. Preparara, I got to run. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Thank we'll you, be right sir. back. It seems pretty clear at this point that President Trump believes he can own the pandemic response by generating the vaccine. Let's get some perspective from his own Surgeon General, who said this. We don't need to wait until we get a vaccine or some miracle drug to get this virus under control. We can do it right now. Now, what is the Surgeon General talking about? The same thing that the CDC had was talking about the same thing that Tony Fauci and the other task force members have told you. Uh, what you hear from lawmakers, even Republican ones, who aren't within earshot of the president. You can wear the mask, socially distance as call for, and deal with hygiene. Let's ask somebody who understands the Trump administration from the inside, in fact, the very agency that could be helping lead the way during this pandemic, Tom Price. Trump's Secretary of Health and Human Services before leaving in 2017 amid controversy. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thank you for joining us. Hey, Chris, good to be with you. Uh, let's look at uh, the past through this lens. Had you not gone through um, that scandal uh, and having to admit what happened with the planes and paying it back, uh, you probably would not have been dismissed, certainly from the Trump administration. You'd be there now. Is that a source of regret for you? Oh, I, I, there's a lot more to that story, and that's not why I was called to be on this, I know. Uh, on, on this show this evening. Um, but I, I don't know that I would still be there. Um, uh, you, you know, there are a lot of individuals who've come through uh, the administration. I think what's important about this issue right now is that the incredible privilege that I had to work at HHS and lead HHS with 80,000 employees literally across the world, American people, your viewers can be incredibly proud of the remarkable work that's being done. CDC, NIH, FDA, uh, throughout the entire globe uh, on, on health issues. And so it was a remarkable privilege for me to be able to, to, to serve at HHS, and it will be one of my highest honors. The spokesperson there until very recently, Michael Caputo, suggested something else. He suggested that scientists within that agency and others were working to thwart the president, to keep people uh, in the dark, to keep this pandemic out there, to help political ambitions of getting rid of the president. Do you buy that? 
No, I, what I saw were incredibly dedicated people, whether they were political appointees or whether they were career individuals. Uh, th these are folks that, that, especially who've been there for a long time, uh, could be doing all sorts of other things. But what they've dedicated, many of them dedicated their lives to, is making certain that the health and well-being and the safety of the American people are improved. Um, and so it was it was a it was a great honor for me to be able to uh, to serve with them. And uh, and and the CDC was right at the top of that list. Do you agree with Dr. Redfield in his recent analysis of the plus minus on vaccines and the absolute science behind masks? Well, it, I, I thought Dr. Redfield was very clear, and I commend him for what he for what he said. We're dealing with a new infectious disease. You remember, Chris, when it came out, it was called the novel coronavirus. Yes, and that was because it's new. Um, all of us, all of us in in the world, literally, are immunologically naive because our bodies haven't seen this disease before. And so, when you have a new infectious disease, we're we're watching Public Health 101 play out in real time before the American people and before uh, citizens of, of of the world. And and when you have a new infectious disease, one of the things that you have to do initially is to mitigate uh, the the spread of the infectious disease. Uh, you need to be able to, to detect it. That's the testing. But the mitigation is key. And one of the major mitigation activities that you could do is to is to socially distance, to physically distance, and to wear a mask. This is not. This is not rocket science. This is something that public health has known for years. If you look back at the pictures from 1918, that's exactly what, what they did. On, they have masks on. That's right. Then why do you believe the president has taken such an opposite tack, having the rallies? Uh, sure, his campaign staff will say, hey, you want a mask? He never encourages people to wear masks. He did once in public, but since then, he's been quiet about it and intentionally so. Why does he take that tack? Yeah, I, I I don't know, but what I will tell you is that the role well, matters, of physicians, right? it, 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 it's incredibly important. The right? role of physicians and the role of scientists is is to provide the best information that they have and the most honest and and candid information that they have, and that's my goal at this point. Do you think this, people should be wearing masks? when they're unable to physically distance and when they're not within their their cohort, if you will, uh, that they know is safe. Absolutely. If they I, go I, to a rally, should they wear a mask? I, I, if, if, if they go to a rally, if they go to a protest, if, if they're in a group of individuals that they don't know and they're not able to, to physically distance, then it's public health 101 to wear a mask. Would you hold a rally right now if you're going to have a book come out or do whatever and they said, hey, we're going to pack this house for you tonight. Uh, masks are optional. Would you be OK with that? I haven't attended a, an event uh, since the beginning of this that hasn't respected the imperative of, of this disease and making certain that there is there's uh, mitigation activities going on, whether it's wearing a mask, right. whether it's social distancing, uh, whether it's uh, um, uh, just a few people in a certain area. Um, th this again, this is not uh, difficult stuff. This is stuff that we've known for uh, over 100 years. I agree. And, and it's imperative. And the American people understand this in their gut. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's why I think you're seeing some of the good trends that we're seeing. We're seeing decrease in hospitalizations, decrease in transmissions, decrease in deaths. And that's because folks, I think, are paying more attention now. We're having a little bit difficulty on university campuses and we need to uh, we need to get our, our, our young uh, uh, constituents to be able to to uh, recognize the imperative of their role in all of this. Right. A lot of personal responsibility needs to be held. But uh, but we're doing better as a nation. And I think we need to to uh, champion to uh, celebrate that. Uh, yes, except we are doing better despite 
the constant messaging of the president of the United States, Doc. And I get that you don't want to talk straight politics. I understand that. But I think the truth, I don't think, I know the truth demands it. We all know well, that the science says we should wear masks. The president says otherwise. So telling the truth to the American people says science 101 says medicine 101 says wear a mask. And it is wrong for the president to suggest and encourage otherwise. I think you need to say both parts if you want to tell people the truth. Do you agree? Well, I think I, I think what I what I'm inspired by is the work of the Surgeon General. Uh, I'm inspired by the work of the CDC director. I'm inspired by uh, the work at NIH and the individuals there and, and, and the folks who have been very clear uh, on this. There's, there's been no. But they have been I'm, frustrated I'm, I'm, I'm and heard. silenced by a president who gets upset when they say what you're saying right now, which is why Redfield got slapped down. I'm and asking that, you again, do you want to point out that the president shouldn't be doing that and that he shouldn't be discouraging mask use. I'm, I'm past the days of, of trying to decide why individuals in the political arena do what Not they do. What individuals, I am, what I want Doc, to do, the president, the president, the president, doctor, very clear uh, that that this is a new infectious disease. We need to mitigate the challenges of this disease. And one of the major things that we can do, everybody in a personal responsibility standpoint, regardless of what the president says, regardless of what. Certain, How can you certain say regardless of what the president says when you don't even want to say, Doc, I got to tell you, you know, I've known you for a while. I have respect for you as a clinician. Uh, what I'm saying is this. I get that you don't want to get in the political morass, but if you don't want to get people to a better place then you keep playing the game where you don't want to get in Trump's face about this. But people don't wear masks because they believe he doesn't think you need them to. You have an odd political symbiosis between people who don't want to wear masks and who support the president. Why won't you say he shouldn't say it? Which is precisely why I'm on the air right now, and that is to encourage individuals to to recognize the science, to follow the science, to follow the physicians. And the president tells them they don't have to. So now what? And to do the things that need to be done to mitigate the challenge of this. And the president says you don't have to. The mask is optional. Come to my big rally. It's going to it's going to disappear, by the way. If the virus is going to disappear, even if we do nothing. If I were if I were at that rally, if I were at it, I told you, if I were in an area where there was uh, uh, no ability to physically distance, and there were a lot of individuals there, I would wear a mask and, and would, would encourage every single person to and do And what so. would you say to the person who's telling people to do otherwise? I'm not letting uh, it go, I, Doc. It's too important. I, I think, Chris, I think that that that, that is belying science. Uh, the science dictates, the public health activities dictate- I agree with that, you, that, but that you won't say that Trump is belying the science and his people respect you. They need to hear, okay, now I'll wear a mask. I get it. He I, says Trump is wrong to tell me. All right, I get it. I, th- I, think they've, I think they've gotten that message, Chris. All right, one other thing for you. Um, the president is saying that uh, he's going to have a great plan. You were at HHS. That's where a plan would have had uh, a significant home in generation. Why three years in should uh, Trump supporters and other voters who are thinking about voting for him have trust that he's going to come up with a plan when he's had all this time to come up with a plan and hasn't? Well, I think, I think the contrast to where we find ourselves right now is that there are real challenges in the healthcare system. And the question is, what is the, what is the answer? How do we get ourselves to a better place in terms of our healthcare right. system? 
and 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 what the administration I think has been working on, and I know individuals, my old friends, uh, uh, former colleagues in the in the U.S. House and in the U.S. Senate, uh, they've been working on issues to make certain that we don't put the government in charge of things, because we know that when that happens, then people are further removed from being able to communicate with their doctor and being able to get the treatment. Fine, that but that doesn't need. mean you don't have a plan. Why doesn't he have a plan? Three and a half years in. Uh, you'd have to ask folks that are there right now. Uh, if, if, if I had been had the privilege of sticking around for a period of time, I believe we would have been able to move a plan. You, they should However, have a plan, right? Should they have a well, plan? I had a plan. As, as you and I have talked about before, I mm -hmm. had a plan when I was in the United States. Right. House but he didn't make that plan your plan. And he hasn't come up with any other plan except to say he's going to have a plan. That's not and enough, it, is it? it? No, you got to have a plan. You can't beat there something with nothing. That's and, right. And, and, and so uh, I encourage my colleagues to talk about the imperative of, of greater ch greater choices. Uh, we've been working on a plan through through uh, Job Creators Network and Physicians for Reform that's called Healthcare for You to make certain that we contrast it with Medicare for All. Medicare for All is a one-size-fits-all program. I got you. But, but, but what we want is healthcare for you for individual patients all across this land. I get that's it. The well, this is what we need to do. When the president yeah. puts out his competing plan, then we'll have two plans to compare. I want you to come back on the show and help me go through both of what you see as the pluses and minuses. Uh, doctor, I appreciate you, Dr. Price, coming on. I appreciate uh, your, you as a clinician. That's why I'm chasing you about the accountability, uh, because we need to start Thanks. telling people the truth and what to believe and what not, because we're getting sick, literally. Doc, thank you for being with us. Thanks. Take care. All right. Now, look, they're not easy conversations. I'm sorry uh, that it has to be difficult. But it shouldn't be difficult. The truth should be simple. If the science is wear a mask and the president is ignoring that, then you have to say he's wrong to ignore it. I get that it's upsetting. I get that it hurts your partisan standing. It's making us sick. Doesn't happen here. That's how it is. The Department of Justice is doubling down on the idea of charging protesters with sedition. OK, now sedition is not a catch all. It's a specific thing. It requires specific elements and it is a big deal. In a memo sent to U.S. attorneys nationwide, Deputy AG Jeffrey Rosen writes, the attorney general and I recently discussed with you the need to consider the use of a variety of federal charges when they may be appropriate, including seditious conspiracy. Seditious conspiracy. Let's try that out on former U.S. attorney who was fired by President Trump, Preet Bharara. Good to have you right now. Um, let me ask you this. What do you see behind this move? Do you see this as a logical legal move or something else? I see it as something else, and that's based on the track record of uh, not just the president, but the attorney general of the United States, who doesn't work for the president, but works for the public, for the American people, trying to, in some ways, <clears throat> echo through his position and through legal positions, uh, the rhetoric of the president. Um, you know, sedition is, is a big deal crime to bring. As you say, it's a very specific statute it has specific elements, um, and it's not typically used in this fashion. In, in fact, it's almost never used in this fashion. I haven't done all the research, and I plan to go back and take a look. But more likely, it seems like this is another example of the attorney general doubling down on what the president says and does, uh, and in effect, on, on some occasions, uh, tries to help the president's uh, allies, and on other occasions, tries to make war on the president's adversaries. And his, his whole his whole talking about these protests and rhetoric about them and who's at fault, he overemphasizes, uh, you know, one group of people and underemphasizes other group of people, namely white supremacists. So it's, it seems to me it is part and parcel of a, of a political message rather than something that's legally sound. What happens next? 
<laughs> That's a great question. But I know you um, volunteered your services to one of the municipalities in question. Why? Uh, well, you know, I don't, again, I don't know if the report is true. <clears throat> there, uh, there is a report that uh, the attorney general asked people in the civil rights unit of, in the civil rights division of the Justice Department to look at potential charges against a former U.S. attorney, current mayor of the city of Seattle. That strikes me as preposterous, and so I hope it is not true. It would seem not to be true uh, because it's not based on any you know, fact or legal principle that I'm aware of. <clears throat> there is also confirmed evidence, I think confirmed by the Justice Department itself, that the department had been looking at uh, figures, political figures, officials in Portland, Oregon. Right. And bizarre to me, because I've seen rhetoric coming out of the, the attorney general in a gaslighting form where he says, you know, here's the problem in America today. You can't just say you don't like your adversary. You have to say that they need to be charged with a crime and put them in jail. Number one, that's what the president does. That's what the president says on a regular basis, going back to 2015, talking about Hillary Clinton. And that's what it appears <clears throat> that his own Justice Department has been contemplating doing with respect to political adversaries and enemies um, and thorns in their side mm. in Portland and potentially in Seattle. Well, and they, so, you know, that's, that's another promise kind of made, another promise made, promise kept. He used to say, lock her up. Maybe now uh, A.G. Barr will find a way to make that uh, promise kept. Preparara, I got to run. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Thank we'll you be right back. CNN's Champions for Change series shows you people making positive changes, like a young man who is reshaping harmful narratives. Watch this. The United States is in a place of reckoning in that what some people interpret as rising racial tensions that are recent are actually things that have been present in our country for a really long time that I believe are actually woven into the fabric of what this country is. Black students are dealing with something especially stressful right now. They see pictures and videos of people that look like them being killed and assaulted by police around the country. When I think about kids right now, it makes me realize that there's a lot of work that needs to be done. When I was younger, I was dealing with a lot of bullying, and I wanted nothing more than to not exist. I can't rest knowing that there are kids that look like me that want nothing more than for somebody to look at them and say, I believe in you, you're worth something, and they don't have it. When I started Weird Enough in 2014, I was struck by the fact that media portrayals of Michael Brown were having a tangibly negative impact on the way that I as an individual was treated on a predominantly white college campus. So I had a thought process that maybe media representation can have a positive impact as well. My work is rooted in creating a new world of diverse and original stories featuring characters and heroes that help young people find the hero in themselves. I'm really excited to see everybody. The Weird Enough team is scattered around the globe. Our thought was, what if we could take that same amazing feeling that you get when you watch an anime and translate it scientifically to the way that young people behave in school and the way that they develop. So we have a program where we take an original comic series that we create called The Uncommons, and we partner it with lesson plans and curricula that can be used in school, but also any kid or any parent or caretaker can access from home too. Roman has very, very, very great power. What I like most about The Uncommons is that 
It is about black heroes that save the day. My favorite character is Iris because she is mostly curious and funny. She is a black girl and a hero, kind of like me. Our characters do fight giant monsters, but they're not the type that are the size of buildings. They're different types of monsters. Insecurities, fears, past failures, things that people spend their entire lives running from. This doctor approves of Tony Weaver's message. When we have books that can speak to what messages we are trying to encourage in our children, there's one thing for me to say it as a mommy, but there's something completely different when my daughter can look at a book and see herself. Awesome job. And the messages speak to some of the challenges that she has as a little black girl growing up in this country. There has not been in my experience a curriculum that represents our black and brown kids in a positive way. When Tony introduced his literacy program in 2017, he also just spoke to the kids about being a young black entrepreneur. So they were inspired that this young kid with a cape who's super cool and has a high top, you know, haircut looks like them. For me, my cape is a way to unapologetically bring myself into any space I enter. My way of saying that I'm not going to allow any people to minimize who I am. But what's a cape for me might be different for a different young person. So I encourage them to find the thing that makes you feel empowered and don't let anybody take it away from you. Be sure to watch Champions for Change this Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern here on CNN. Thanks for watching CNN Tonight with big star D. Lemon right now. I thought you were going to say not all heroes wear capes, but they certainly do wear yellow ties. Yeah, it's, that is what I was going to say. How'd you know? Because <laughs> I know you. <laughs> uh, interesting show. Your show was great. And the, the town hall was fantastic, too. I, I enjoyed your interview uh, with Dr. Price, and I enjoyed your interview with Preet Bharara. Uh, two very important uh, conversations. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, AG seeming to throw around the crime of sedition as a political tool uh, is very frightening, yeah. uh, especially when it flies in the face of what this president seems to be selling the American people, which is you got to watch out for these institutions. They can come and get you. The AG says yeah. there are definitely people in the government working to thwart this administration. Well, what does he call trying to bait sedition cases against the causes that they don't like? And also trying to, uh, the scary black people out there, when you actually look at what, and, and Preet Bharara mentioned it before, um, the, the FBI director today t testifying about mm -hmm. what's the biggest threat, terror threat, and, and that is um, white supremacists Shh. in this country. But you cannot, I, I'm going to do a report on it, trust me, you know I'm going to get there. But yeah, it, the, it's the largest group of uh, racially motivated domestic terrorists. Shh. But you wouldn't know that because it's scary. There are all these protesters out there. There's all this riot and, rioting and Yeah, leaving. that's the focus. Well. I mean, those, you see the faces on those black guys. I mean, they yeah. are angry. Yeah. And White guys. Nobody's worried about them, Doc. So let's talk about that, Chris, honestly. Because if you watch a certain state TV and you listen to conservative media, you would think that you know, entire cities are just, you know, in, in brawled in fights and fires and whatever. We went out and had a great dinner in New York City tonight. 
people actually walked up to us and said, thank you for, I watch you every night. I can't believe they thought they did to do a double take at us actually hanging out and not seeing us on the TV screen. But New York City was not, um, a, you know, a hellscape, was it? Uh, I mean, that one guy who ran by with the machete uh, <laughs> who tried to guess. No, of course it isn't. You know, look, his campaign is be afraid. Yeah. The genius twist by Fox News is that they say that's what we want to do is scare you, which really enhances the president's ability to do it. Yeah. Uh, it is a very beautiful uh, concerted action between the two of them. It's unfortunate that its point of uh, purpose is to divide the American people. Yeah. But there we were out having dinner. It's great uh, to be together in the city. Uh, we were met by a great group of uh, a lot of people came up to us. But infectious disease. Doctors. Yeah. Who helped me understand how to explain better to everybody else about why we can do so much better with the types of testing we're using. And then a miracle happened. So I'm talking to the doctors and like all of a sudden I feel like this this like breeze <laughs> that was like almost like the Holy Spirit kind of flowing Whoa. through. And all of a sudden Don Lemon's <laughs> hand, I figure, I don't know if it's reaching for a gun or reaching for a hairbrush, oh, it could be anything, <laughs> a powder pulls puff. out a credit card and gives it <laughs> to the waiter and says, I'll pay. But do you, the line after that is? I don't remember anything you don't after remember? that. <laughs> I said it's on the boss. It was the corporate card. <laughs> I, was trying, I was trying to give you max credit for the situation. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was great being out in the city. It was great. We had a meeting, so we came in earlier and we got to go to dinner. But uh, it was great being out in the city and seeing people and seeing their, um, their reactions. And listen, before people try to twist what we're saying, nobody is condoning violence here. We know that there's violence out there, but entire cities are not on fire. And in tumult. There are a few blocks. Uh, and when people do that and they, you know, burn things and, and break into stores and loot, wrong, wrong, wrong on every level. But we want people to know that um, things, are, things are, going to, are going to get better, we hope, with the right leadership. And then, you know, people on November 3rd will make up their minds of what that leadership should be. Absolutely. But I do want people to always keep in focus this. We have heard people say, that the fight for equality and justice, simply defined as fairness under law, has been depicted this way before. And it was yeah. in the 60s. And you had the same kind of white fright purveyors saying, oh, they don't want to just be equal. They yeah. want what you have. They, well, they did it then. And they are doing it now. And, and they, one of them is the president of the United States. And they said the same thing about Dr. King. There are if you look at news reports and there is this one cartoon that was that I keep at my desk uh, that actually Bernie's King um, tweeted out where they were doing the same thing, where Dr. King is being interviewed by someone. And he's saying, oh, peaceful protest. And then there's, you know, things that look like riots behind him. So it's the same sort of messaging. Everything old is new again. And as I always say, but we've never seen, no. you know, even around the Nixon, top, the Republicans never, went to Nixon and said, you've got to go. You've got to go. Dr. Price is out. He got thrown out by yeah. this administration for good reason. Yeah. He would not say the second half of the truth. The first half is the not science is clear. Wear the mask. Isn't he wouldn't amazing? say. And the president is wrong to say it. Yeah. No, That's the state of play in that party. And I think, I think you're right about that. And listen, no matter how afraid you are of me, you will always tell me when I'm wrong, and I respect that about you. And you do the same. Yeah. That's why we love each other, because we can trust each other to be real. As all real friends, you want a yeah. friend, be a friend. Yeah. All right. So 
Sometimes I love you. Not all the time. Though. Thank you for paying. <laughs> You're welcome. This is CNN Today. D-Lemon. I love it. <laughs> Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.